Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Mental Health Debut Podcast. Before I introduce my very special guest today, I need to make an amendment and an apology for something that was said last week. I referred to a specific game as mud more than once and I've since been told that I'm an idiot and that the game wasn't called mud, it was called wet. And of course it was. I have no idea where my brain was going with that. And as for corrections, I do apologise again because it isn't a very special guest. It's my regular partner, Stu. How are you doing, Stu? Oh, you know, I feel like a correction now after you've said that. (laughs) (laughs) Your footnote. I am in history as well as in the podcast. But there you go. Yeah, apart from that, I'm all right. Excellent. So let's pretend the world outside isn't happening for a bit, shall we? And let's go for our usual starting. What have we been playing? Yeah, it's absolutely hideous at the moment. And I think, you know, you'd be a complete moron to not recognise that. Uh, So, yeah, diving into video games is is always good. And I did it by, well, a little bit of a roundabout story. So my wife and I were watching Buffy again for the gazillionth time because it's one of our favourites. And it reminded me, like, pleasantly of the first time we watched it together because we've got all sorts of things in common and that was one of them. And it was way back in 2006. And I remembered because... I was playing the game that I've just picked up again then and have picked it up now, if that makes sense, which is Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins. So it might not have been worth talking about a game that's 14 years old other than to say, oh, played it again, it's all right. But it's so different of an experience that I have to talk about it. So basically, it came out on the PSP. It looked all right, but of course it was on a tiny screen difficult to control and it was a difficult game anyway so i enjoyed it but you know it was far from the be all and end all so i played it on emulation on an emulator called double p double s double p you know really put a lot of thought into that name and it's transformative is the only word i would now rank it as probably the best ghosts and goblins slash ghouls and ghosts slash maximo game that there is because you can stick it in really high resolutions and it still looks beautiful. It really shows off the level design. You can stick a cheat code in to make it 60 frames per second and smooth because the game was originally 30. You can see it better without having to use the PSP controls. You can use a proper pad or a proper joystick and it controls so much better. And you can use save states to get over some of the brutal difficulty. And yeah, I would genuinely say with all of those things in place that it's the best of the series, which is a stunning transformation because at the time I just thought, well, this is this is the wrong platform for this game. This needs to be on something else. Uh, and it turns out I was dead right. So I've really been enjoying that. And it also brings up a, a conversation about, about emulation as well, which we'll get into in a bit. But yeah, have you played that game or have you not had the chance? I did on the PSP, yes. Um, probably probably not quite 2006. I think I probably played it a little bit later, but we're splitting hairs there. Uh, just to clarify for some people, if we do have anyone younger listening, you may have heard Stu mention a cheat code. Now, what a cheat code is, it's like a microtransaction that you get today, but it was already in the game 
and you just use a little code in it to unlock it without paying money. It's a whole different world back then. <laughs> well, you joke, but they probably don't know what one is. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I, would, I don't know. I don't know whether to make this a big chat or a smaller chat. I think I'll try with a smaller one. Um, right. Emulation. So my perspective is if you've paid for a game and that game is no longer available and you want to play it again, you have a right because you've already paid for it in the past to play it on anything you want, providing you're not taking a new copy. So that makes it a little bit awkward ethically, but basically you can't buy Ultimate Ghouls and Ghosts, to the best of my knowledge. And if you did, you'd be buying a second-hand copy and the money therefore doesn't go to the distributors or to the original artists. I've already paid for it, so I've got no compunction about playing it again. So just a quick one on that. I, I do not class that as piracy in, in any way, shape, or form, because I've paid for the IP. What if it's Sid Fire's Pirates? <laughs> yeah, that would be a little bit different and very ironic. But um, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's vital, because there was a thing on one of the forums that you and I frequent about Transformers Devastation, the game by Platinum Games, that you yeah. only came out about five years ago. And you can't play it anymore. It, it, you can't buy it. It just doesn't exist. It's been delisted. And, you know, what if you want to play the game? So the fact that the community retains the games so that you can play them when they're not commercially available is really important, especially as you can end up playing something that's far superior to the original release in the end. So it's fascinating. It's a great game, and it's a fascinating way of accessing it in a way as well. So there you go. And on, on the emulation side, it's, I, I'm totally with you on that. And there's a game that came out on the Xbox 360 that is never going to see the light of day again called Droplets. And I can talk about this game with some authority because I was the, at one point, number eight player in the world. So I, I, nice. think, I've got the authority, I, know, I think I've got the authority to talk about this game. And there was thousands, before any jokes are made, there was thousands of people that played it. But it's never coming out again. And if I found a way of doing decent Xbox Live Arcade emulation, I'd, I'd get it again straight away because, again, it's not going to get the um, back compatibility options that other games get. It's not going to get a remaster or a re-release because it's in licensing hell. Um, and I would do it. And then you get to the grey area ones. And I think this is a discussion we'll have next week properly with stuff like the Scott Pilgrim game. Morally... I can't buy the new release of this game because I, I refuse to give Ubisoft money now. So am I morally in a better position to emulate the game knowing that I bought it originally on Xbox Live Arcade? And again, I can't play it in any way apart from buying a 360 again. But again, you're looking at what happens when servers are shut down. What are my options for doing it? So is emulation the only option? And am I okay doing that because I'm morally not giving any money to Ubisoft who don't deserve money at the moment? So it's, I think there's a very good discussion to be had around the whole thing. But I, I, I with you, if you already own the game and you want to play it and there's a ways to play it that aren't official, then it should be okay. should be okay. Yeah, yeah. A, a long time ago, about 10 years or more, kind of came to the decision that <laughs> like legally in, in the courts that if you that you basically don't own a game you know that in the past it was okay you don't if you buy a disc you own the disc and you own the ip on it and then they changed it to 
you own the format, but you don't own the IP. So if you've got the disk, that's fine. If you transfer it onto a computer to play it on an emulator, that's not fine. And then they changed it to you don't own any of it. It's effectively a rental because we can take it away from you at any point. And at that point, I was like, yeah, f- that noise. You know what I mean? I was yeah. just like, I'm, no, I'm not having that. And I wouldn't pirate. Uh, yeah, this is for a bigger discussion, but I wouldn't pirate stuff in that I wouldn't take things away that were only available in one format that weren't from the past. And that especially if you're using a company's hosting capabilities to play that game, even though you've bought it, you know, you haven't bought it um, or you've bought it in the past and now you're just using their facilities. So yeah, there's a big discussion to have around it, but it's not a black and white one. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one to have. So tune in next week because that's going to be the chat next week. We should definitely do that. The number yes, of things we bring up and then go, ah, oh, no, oh, let's, let's move on. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's, that's, next that's week. an interesting one because I do a lot of mental gymnastics in trying to justify why or why I don't at times do certain things. And I think game emulation and privacy and things like that are very interesting ones that you can have huge internal debates and mess with your own head with. So it's a chat that I think even fits into what we're trying to do as well. Um, yeah, cool. Moving on, though, just go over a couple of bits I've been playing. Um, one I'm going to touch on just briefly is I've been playing Windspan. Um, I've done a stream on it, which is a bird-watching, card-collecting board game that's now got a digital version. That is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. When you first play it, it's very confusing, but the tutorial actually does a really, really good job in making you understand the game. And I can't even begin to explain it, but it's on Steam now. And give it a go. It is a really chilled, laid-back experience, as you'd expect from a game about bird watching and card collecting. Absolutely brilliant. But I've got loads of games I want to play, but they've all been pushed to the side because of one game. And I'm going to let you guess what this game is, Joe, because the hint was there last week. Yeah, it's it rhymes with... Uh... Blart of Valley, I think. It, yes, it is. In the Valleys. Yeah, Art of Rally I've been playing. Now, it's not got the absolute universal acclaim that I think, that I thought it was going to get. I know some people aren't too keen on the handling model and stuff like that. But from the very first moment I pressed accelerate on that game, just, oh, wow. I just fell for it instantly. Um, visually, it looks all nice and unique. It's kind of got the low poly surfaces and everything, but with modern lighting, it just makes it look it looks unique. It looks retro but modern at the same time on the visual side. So that is wow, that is amazing. But the way it plays, it's really interesting because it it boils it down to just like accelerate, brake, handbrake, but somehow feels more like a rally game than other rally games do because you're always on edge and the smallest mistakes can screw things over um stages are tight so you you are really you go off you go too hard you'll go off the road you'll hit something you'll you'll lose time things like that the damage model can be brutal if you turn it up and it's just yeah i've just every time it's like every day i've been playing it the daily challenges the weekly challenges the main career path just absolutely sublime for me but I know not everyone feels the same. And I, 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 it's, do you know, it's one of those things you do, you play, you just like, I don't get why, what other people aren't seeing that I am. Yeah, completely. It, it's a funny one because 
I played the demo and I didn't like the handling model, but mm. I, I recognize that it's fantastic. And it's one of those like with uh, Codemasters driving games. It's like, I, I just like buy them, think they're, they're brilliant. You know, some of them are only in inverted commas good, but they've never made a bad game and all of them are fun. And yet there's people who go, oh, no, well, their, their handling model, their driving model's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, but they complain about, they, Yeah, they're on a, like, a, I, I've seen people complain, I didn't realise this was a thing, that they take, like, a central base for their turning rather than the actual physical. I was like, but it's fun. Exactly, exactly. I, I, don't, I don't care for the, like, it, it, if I was playing a simulation, then yes, don't get me wrong, great. But when a game's not trying to be in a simulation, so as long as it feels good, I don't really care. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, and I think Art of Rally is the same. It's like it decides what it wants to do, and it does it really, really well. And if you don't engage with that, that's on you. It's not on the game. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's not ashamed of what it's done. But there are a couple of real standout moments in this. So the first time you drive through the crowd, you tense up. It's like you see them coming. And you like, you've seen the videos. You're like, they're going to move. But you're doing it. You're going, move, move. Just get out my way. So you, you ease off. There's something about it. She goes, I can't just plough plow through this crowd. I've got to ease off. And that, that's a really weird one. But also, nighttime rally on this is wow. It's amazing. Also, I've hopefully started a collaboration between uh, Fun Selector and um, the guys behind Lonely Mountains for them to collaborate and make a sequel crossover game because both games look outstanding. Both games are outstanding. And they feel like they're part of the same family. So hopefully I've created something by introducing those two. Yeah, that would be that would actually be really cool. I do apologise, I'm full of cold today, so I'm a bit there. Oh, I'll let you with off. With my talking. I'll let you off. As long as you've not got the old COVID, I don't mind. No, we know we haven't got that. It is just cold. Um, so have you been playing anything else? Yeah, a few things. But the only thing I would kind of really want to talk about at the moment is um, Starlink. If you remember that one, it came out a little while ago, a few years back. It's one of those where, like Disney Infinity, is it? Where you, you oh, have Toys to Life game. Yeah, yes, Toys yes. to Life. That's what they call it. Yeah. So it's not the sort of thing that I would gravitate towards normally. Not that I dislike toys, because I do like toys. But, um, it, you know, I normally wouldn't bother because I think it was gimmicky. But it was uh, $4.99, brand new and sealed from like Argos distributed on eBay. Like, and that was delivered as well, which is crazy. Yeah. So I thought, I hey, sod it for that money. Can't can't turn it down. And it's not a bad little game. It looks nice. It's got. Uh, it's basically kind of like a cross between sort of Destiny, No Man's Sky, and Star Fox. Kind of. I mean, that makes it sound like it's the greatest game of all time, but it isn't. It's it's just a good game. But um, it's a it's a blend of those things, you know. You you go around and get resources from planet surfaces, and you fight stuff. And yeah, it's it's just very simple. It doesn't try and do anything particularly clever. But it's a kind of you know my first uh, you know resource gathering game slash space shooter. So for the money, that I was quite impressed to be honest. Um, it said it was Xbox One X enhanced, but there are no settings, which is a bit annoying because the first thing I would have done was change it from 30 frames per second to 60, but it doesn't give you that option. So uh, unless I'm missing something, so write in listenership if you know. But uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's all right. It's not bad at all. And yeah, that's fine. I, I I picked this up on the Switch. I think I paid four times the amount as you and I still felt it was a bit of a bargain at 20 quid. 
But the only issue I had with it, it didn't feel like it needed to be the Toys to Life game that it was. If it had taken the toys out of it and uh, just rounded a bit more of the actual game off, I think it would have gone down as something quite special. Yeah. Instead, it'll be consigned to the um, history books as a another average game that tried to gimmick that didn't work. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. a shame because I enjoyed my time with it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do that Toys to Life thing, you've really got to bring it because you know, it, to, to convince people to spend more money on plastic tat on, that isn't necessary for anything at all other than that game, you've really got to bring it. But yeah, so yeah, a, a, a failed experiment that I was happy to spend practically no money on. Oh yeah, Fiverr, you get more than your, your value out of that. that that's not a bad. I wouldn't even say that's the right price. I'd say you've really, you've, you've done well there. 20 quid was about the right price for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a cross between me being extremely lazy and also very very patient when it comes to games becoming cheap uh i will wait in the weeds for years for something to drop below a tenner i really will yeah the only version worth getting though if you can still get it is the switch version just for the um the star fox model yeah yeah i'm gutted that i can't stick on your yeah that you can stick on your shelf yeah i'm gutted i can't have that one yeah, you'll be able to find that one day for... If you wait another couple of years, you might be able to get that for, like, one ninety nine. Yeah, well, I meant to use in-game because it won't work with this version, but, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I could just get the model, couldn't I, and play around with it. Pew-pew and all that, yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to bet, though, it'll be more expensive to buy just the model than it will to buy it, find a, a sealed copy of the actual game with the models included at some point. Oh, yeah, easily, yeah. It's one of those weird things. Definitely. So. What else you been playing? No, that's it really for me. I've got loads lined up that I've got to play, but no, that's really been it. I've got uh, coming up. What I'm looking forward to is I've got um, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw to play, and I played the original Rebel Galaxy, and I really like that. So I'm looking forward to playing that one. Oh, and I've also been playing Station Flow. So I'll just touch on that briefly. It's a management sim, like a theme park style thing, but boiled right down to core. And basically, you've got to manage an underground station and build it. And it's just, yeah, it's just really fun to play. I can't describe it anymore beyond that. But it's just, there's a video of it on YouTube on a five-minute ramble. But yeah, give that one a go if you get a chance. Cool. So moving on, um, I want to talk a little bit about the process of getting diagnosed with things as an adult whilst it's easy enough to get well, I say easy enough but easier to get diagnosed with depression and anxiety and all things like that there's other uh areas of mental health that are i wouldn't say impossible but you've got to jump through a ton of hoops to get um, and i'm on the long road of trying to get diagnosed with adhd in adulthood and getting diagnosed with adhd in adulthood is far from easy First of all, you get treated like you're a liar. That is something that's made up. You kind of, even the doctors, the first thing they kind of look at you with is, yeah, are you sure? You're an adult and you've suddenly got ADHD. Well, no, I haven't suddenly got ADHD. I've always had ADHD. I'm only just able to recognise it now. And then you get given this bog standard questionnaire that seems to have these black and white answers that you can't, actually answer in a black and white way i'm trying to remember back on what the questions were because it was such a long time ago now um but the one of them was oh do you feel like you're the like the life of the party yes or no and it's like well 
that not a question I can answer because some days I can be really sort of like joyous and happy and joy, you know, be like engaging with people. Other days I'm not, I'm totally sort of like in, in, introverted or I'll, I'll skulk away and things like that. So it's not a yes or no answer. But the questions are done in such a way that you're going, but if I get this question wrong, they're going to misdiagnose me. So you can't answer these questions properly. Um, and you are made to feel like you're trying to cheat somebody rather than actually being helpful to you. You feel like that you're trying to be caught out in a lie, which doesn't help. And then it's basically that this questionnaire is sent off and you won't hear anything back for months. But I remember going back to my doctor about two months ago. Uh, asked the receptionist guy, you don't know, is there any update on what's happened with the referral, et cetera, et cetera? And they went, well, yeah, you're the one who's meant to follow this up. And I went, but I'm, 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 I'm putting in a, I need help with ADHD. Following things up and being on things when there's other distractions isn't exactly my forte. It's a weird one to, you know, it's like, it's like asking um, outside, an Alzheimer's um, sufferer to sort of like remember to to go and do something it's it's not in their wheelhouse you know it's yeah. not for them to do and just to clarify i'm not making light of alzheimer's it is the absolute worst the absolute worst and my partner in her line of work works with people with alzheimer's and she's seen the effect it has on not only the people but the people they love as well it is the absolute worst i just couldn't think of another comparison that would make it sound so obvious but yeah it's like but like they're expecting you to do things that are not in your wheelhouse to do and they, if you know you've got adhd and because you've got adhd like when you didn't know you had it before you kind of made excuses for certain things that you would do or forget. And it's like, oh, I just forgot to do this. Or um, did you put the washing out today? Oh, no, because I was doing this. Because I got, you know, rather than going, I got distracted or that's my ADHD and I didn't put, the, I didn't have anything in place. It's just, no, I was lazy or I was doing this or whatever. But then when you worked out what actually is going on and you know it's ADHD, you start leaning into it a bit. So you start, I don't want to say like you're looking for excuses, you go, oh, that's ADHD, so this is my excuse. But you start accepting the, the tics you have, the, weird, the weirdness, I would call it weirdness, you have, that's got a reason. So rather than hiding it and trying to, to, to pretend it's not there, you lean into, <clears throat> lean into it a bit more. And that's what I've been doing of late, but without the support from a professional to guide me, you know, through this, because as it stands at the moment, I'm lost in a in a um, just a vacuum, I suppose, at the moment, where no one's doing anything. And again, because of maybe COVID and everything's going with that, I'm probably nowhere near the top of the priority list. Because you'd like to think that different departments are, you know, they still concentrate on what they've got to be concentrated on. But you get the feeling that's not the case because of the way funding works. So, yeah, at the moment, it's I'm kind of I know I've got ADHD. I know I've always had ADHD and some kind of autism as well with that. But, yeah, the frustrations of being stuck in a 
maze, I suppose is the only way to put it, with no end in sight as to you know where this is going to go is just incredibly, incredibly frustrating. Yeah, God, it must be. Well, I've got lots of questions because it is, it's fascinating to talk about. But my first one would be, so do you think it would be better, similar to like we were talking about um, with education, do you think it'd be better if you had uh, like a consultation, like sort of in a flip, in the reverse of what we were saying for education, if you had the conversation first, and then did a questionnaire and then have whoever was, you know, interviewing you compare based on the conversation you had? Or do you think from your perspective that wouldn't work? So what I would like is rather than having to go to a GP for something like this, because a GP isn't equipped um, to sort of know the ins and outs of everything, the, the, you know, they're it's in their name, you know, the general practitioners. They are the first point of contact. But as soon as you see a GP and say, look, I, I believe I have this one with me mentally, the GP shouldn't be the one to decide what goes there. I've not seen anyone specific um, about my depression or, or, or anything like that, let alone my ADHD. So from the point you see the GP, the GP should then be turning around and going, right, okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to put you to this section there. They deal specifically in mental health. They can diagnose you with, uh, they can look into your ADHD. They will talk to you and do it that way. That's what I think it should be. But the whole idea of you going, you going, doctor, I've, you know, I think I've got ADHD, and then handing you a piece of paper going, well, fill this out and send it back and we'll move on. That doesn't work. It just does not work. So, yeah, I'd, I'd want to speak to someone who knows what they're doing with this idea that, that that's what they specialise in. And it, I know how long it's going to take because it took ages to get my son diagnosed as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, the interview, an interview or a chat is going to do more than a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It also seems to me like quite simple in that if they had, if there were properly trained nurses who just had a procedure and a few things that they could cover, that they could go through the, that first hurdle. Like, have more hurdles in place, but just make them quicker and more specific. And then, you know, instead of it being like, oh, well, okay, we'll gather all this evidence from you, and then we'll, you'll have to wait for six months or nine months for a specialist to look at it. You could kind of narrow things down much more quickly just by going through, you know, if, you just, if, if it wasn't just pushed aside, and thought of as something that's not important or doesn't have to be dealt with quickly because it's not, you know, a physical ailment. So, yeah. Um, my second main question was, um, do you have any idea of what, if you got the diagnosis, what would be the treatment? Or, would it, you know, do you have any idea what would happen next, basically? No. That's the thing, and it's a question that often gets asked is, why do you want a diagnosis? You're, you're 38, 39 now, bloody hell. And you now want a diagnosis. What do you expect from it? And the honest answer, I don't know. I don't know what I want from it, what's going to happen. But I think I've spoke about before, for me, it explains a lot to get that diagnosis. It explains why I was bullied what would cause people to be attracted to me as a, as, a, as a victim and as a target. It explains that to a degree. It explains my reaction to things. It explains why I allowed myself to get into debt. doesn't excuse any of those things. doesn't excuse my own actions, but it explains a lot. 
and it allows me then to maybe seek advice in a proper way and just go, look, I've got ADHD. Um, can I see a counsellor on a regular basis to get help with this? I don't exactly want to start taking medication for it because I don't think that I need. But it allows me a way to refocus my brain on, like, this is what I've got to do. And again, people might go, well, if you use the techniques you'll get because you've got diagnosed and you use them anyway, just do that and that'll be okay. Yeah. You know, people can, for example, mix up the symptoms of anxiety and a heart attack. And if you if you had a heart problem and you didn't know about it because it wasn't diagnosed and you started treating some pain as if it was a panic attack, you'd be in terrible trouble. And yeah, having that diagnosis is vital so that you can make proper preparation and to understand how to control things yourself personally. But also, like, yeah, to, to see if there are any other treatments you can get from an external source as well. So, so I see it as really important, yeah. Yeah, and to, to explain the day-to-day things that ADHD affects, because there's still this thing around ADHD being the excuse that parents make for their kids being naughty, and I still can't believe that is a way a lot of people look at ADHD. Because the first thing I always say with, with Lucas, because people will say to about Lucas having ADHD, you often get people going, but he's not a bad kid. No, but that's nothing to do with ADHD. A kid being naughty is a kid being naughty. Why they're acting out could be because of the ADHD, but the ADHD isn't what makes them naughty. And I always use excuse like with, I say the, the one time I took Lucas out to buy him a copy of NHL, I think it might have been 17 or 18. And I went, we'll go to the shops, so mate, I'll get you this. And we went into the first shop, didn't have it. Second shop, didn't have it. And then I said to him, right, and he was okay. He was like, okay, that's not a problem, Dad. And we said, like, okay, now we're going to go and try a game because at the time I didn't really fancy going into game. And we'll get it from there. They didn't have it in game. Uh, they only got like one copy and it had already gone. And he had a meltdown because that was the last shot we could try. And I promised him that we'd get him NHL that day. So even telling him, I'm like, tell you what, look, I'll just order it off Amazon and it'll come in a couple of days. Then it just wasn't good enough because I promised him that day. People looking externally, look at that and go, oh my God, look at that kid reacting like that because he can't get a video game. But without knowing what had logically broken in his head, because I'd promised him something and he wasn't getting it. Now, that looks like he's being naughty. He's not. He just can't cope with what's happened now based on what he's been told. And I do the same as an adult. It's like sometimes I'll sit there on the bus and someone will get on. And because they look healthy, I know they haven't got a mask. I'm going, oh, God, that's disgusting. Why aren't they wearing their mask on the bus? They don't have got to wear their mask on the bus. I bet they're just playing up. But then my partner, she suffers from asthma. And she's got really weirdly, most shops she can go into and she can wear the mask fine. But our local ASO is quite a tight shop. It's it's big, but all the aisles are quite narrow. Um, and there's quite a few people in there. And she physically, she can't breathe with a mask on in Asda. So she takes it off. She wears it for as long as possible. But as soon as she starts having breathing difficulties, she takes it off. We both know it's 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 like mental. It's a mental state thing. But it's just because of the tightness of the aisles, how busy it is, and the, the layout. She struggles with a mask in that one particular shop. And I'm sort of like, when people start looking at her, I'm like, no, but she's got a problem. Yeah, I happily just previously contradicted myself. But when I was on the bus the other day, and I'm looking at someone else going, oh, you've got to be wearing your mask. And um, 
then literally this is where adhd plays in for the rest of our time around that shopping trip for the next day all i'm focused on is my own hypocrisy and everything else goes out the window you still function you still do other things but all your brain is doing is going how can you do this how can you say this about them but no that's the but no, it makes sense because they quite clearly didn't have anything wrong with them because you can see. But then I want people to know that not every, I, I, you know, I, I, I run a site called Mental Health Gaming and I know not every disability is physical and it, it all can show in different ways. But the ADHD is taking over. My brain is going through everything for like a good 24 hours. And this is the point that I'm talking now. And a perfect example, I forgot what my original point was. Ah, uh, right. No, I mean, you were just telling me about some experiences, and, and they're, yeah. they're absolutely uh, fascinating and important, I think. And yeah, I think in the past, like everybody, sort of years and years and years ago, I would have been, you know, like if a kid was screaming in the supermarket or something, I'd be like, oh, you know, why can't they control their kid better or something like that? And I think now I would like to think that I have a much better filter and I just go, well, there are explanations for things, you know, very rarely that things are bad parenting or, you know, a bad child or anything like that, that most of the time there's a, there's a really good reason for it, even though kids can be pretty random at the best of times. Yes. And, you know, that's just in kids and in adults, knowing that there is a condition that is just like, Oh yeah, well it's just it's just a thing, you know. You've got a thing, you know. I've got a thing. Everybody's got a thing. And just to know that it's a thing immediately makes it like, oh right, okay. Well, this thing could be that thing or it could be this. And you just immediately become more accepting and understanding. Cuz human beings do terribly badly when they don't understand something. Yes. They react in fear because it's something that, that could be a danger to them in the fight and flight response. And Fear makes them angry. They get angry at themselves for being afraid, angry at the other person for making them afraid. And the, the minute that you put a sensible label on something, not, a, not mislabeling, but the minute that you say, oh, yeah, you know, people have different genders, you know, despite what they physically look like, or, oh, you know, this person's got anxiety. It doesn't mean that they're being lazy. It means that they literally can't leave the house. And as soon as you understand these things, you start behaving so much better. Um, in a much more understanding way. So I, yeah, I think they're they're really important to know. Really important, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's just really weird how it affects me. And I don't want to like a label that says, "Hey, I've got ADHD." Please respect that because I don't think we need to start labeling people. That seems like some kind of 1984. <laughs> once we start doing that, but I think we need people to be able to feel comfortable. And if they do something in that moment it's still not acceptable for a lot of people because of the way it's all handled, the way it's all portrayed. Yeah. It's getting better, but not quick enough yet. Yeah. Oh, just to quickly clarify, I didn't mean that we should label people in the street. That'd be horrible. Well, 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 no, when we met and I saw your notebook in there, it said forehead tattoos for the mentally insane. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but I think I get the idea now. You weren't supposed to see that. That's, that's my <laughs> private study. <laughs> but yeah no it's people need to be i think if you allow people to be able to get their diagnoses and i i'm willing to say it's people go oh, it's a new thing it's a new thing the people have got all these eyes oh, it's anxiety it wasn't anxiety when i was younger no 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 you was just told you couldn't cry you was told it wasn't manly to cry 
you know, you, you stiff up a lip. This is how we had to be. Remember the blitz and, and all things like that. Um, all those issues were still there, but they was just put out as weaknesses. You know, you used to call someone who had bipolar, they was insane or they was crazy or they was the weirdo you would avoid. Even in the 80s, that was the case. You used to mock people who were suicidal. Not personally or anything like that, but it used to be that's the way it was. It used to be seen as some kind of joke or, again, a weakness and things like that. So everything has existed, and it has existed since the birth of civilization, shall we say. And it's only now we start to recognise it. But the reason it's so bad is because it wasn't recognised before and it was downplayed or it was pushed to the side and uh, things like that. So... Labels, no, but I think there's a lot more people that suffer with things. Actual mental, um, I don't want to say it's not mental illness. I keep I always forget the word, but not mental deficiencies. What would you put ADHD? This is stupid. ADHD, bipolar, what would you put those as? Uh, I think they're clusters non-neurotypical. Right, okay. So there's neurotypical, which is the defined set of, you know, uh, a brain's behaviour and it's non-neurotypical it's slightly outside that range. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. Right, but okay. don't hold me to it. No, no, no. It's just one of those things where I go, I've always tried to go, I don't want to say mental illness, but it's the only thing I've always ever known it as because it's all bundled in together. But yeah, it's. I think there's so many people that have these, these issues that it's actually not the outlier anymore. I think that is the norm, that everyone, most people have something in their brain that's not considered normal. It's not quite wired right. And the sooner we can accept that, I think that's where we can start to actually get some proper help and treatment for it. Yeah, I agree. And there's always the concern, of course, that, you know, we've got ADHD now. Is it going to be AD4K in a couple of years' time and you've got to upgrade, you know? That's that's the big worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or AD1440P at least. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt with a, a terrible joke there, but I had to do it. No, it's fine. Right, because again, sorry, no, it's, this isn't off topic actually, but a discussion with um, my partner the other day about it. And I remember someone uh, making a comment about it's one to joke about suicide or it's one to joke about mental illness, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember the argument then being sort of like, when it's not, it's how you deal with things at times. Um, I make no no bones about I've tried to kill myself on a, on a few different occasions when I was younger. And I will joke about that. I will joke about having ADHD and the contradictory things I do or the way it can break me at times or the hypocrisy of it. Or I will make jokes about it. I'll have a laugh about it because if we are to normalize it, then part of that is humor. Let's not forget stand up comedians of the seventies and the eighties. The good ones, not your Jim Davidsons. Hopefully that puts him back in his box, by the way. <laughs> um, but your Richard, Pry Richard Pryors, a lot of these stand-up routines were absolutely brilliant. It's only when you then sort of realise it was all to do with the his mental health and what issues he was having with in his own personal life with regards to his mental health and how dark his comedy actually was. So making light of mental health isn't a new thing. It's always been there, I think. But again, I think a lot of people are trying to be overly sensitive to things. I don't want people looking at me 
when I say that I've tried to kill myself in the past and suddenly go, oh, we've got to be careful how what we say to Brad because he might kill himself again or kill himself again, try to kill himself again rather. Because I, I, I've, I've made a joke before where I've turned around, um, well, yeah, I'm not good at anything really. I, I really struggle to be good at anything. I tell you, go, oh, you must be good at something. I went, no. I said, I said, I'm not even good at suicide. I've done it three times and failed. And you can see him just go, you can't joke about that. What? And it's like, but, well, I can. The joke, yeah. the, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't be funny if I had succeeded. Don't get me wrong. But I failed to kill myself. Something that should be fundamentally easy when you're that low. I failed to do it. And the reason I know I actually tried to kill myself and it wasn't a cry for help is I told no one. No one knew I was suicidal. I didn't even tell anyone that I failed or I tried to do it. So I went for only until like the last decade where I've been okay to speak about it more that I actually have tried to kill myself. So it wasn't a cry of help. It was a, I wanted to die and I failed. <laughs> and it's just like, that's hilarious to me. That is absolutely hilarious to me. And I will make jokes about way my ADHD affects me um, because I can't remember those jokes because I have ADHD yeah. and stuff like that. I want to see more and more people treat mental health issues rather than treating them as overly serious and things that need to be completely respected. Let's treat the actual act of what mental health is doing as the joke it is. Let, let's try and sort of like help put it in a box and not ignore that it's there, but treat it with the contempt it treats us. Does that, does that make sense? I, 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 sound like I, I don't want to sound like I'm diminishing mental health, but... No, not at all. Uh, yeah, it, it exactly ties in with what you, you, the sort of founding statement for the site was, really, is that it's to normalise mental health issues and other issues. Yeah. And it, that's what you want. You want things to be normal. And what normal means is sometimes you treat things very seriously and it's a very serious subject and it's upsetting. And sometimes it's just you can something that you can have a laugh about. And that's normal life. And that's what, you, you know, we want to happen, really. So, no, that makes entire sense to me, yeah. Yeah, it's, again, it's how we deal with things, especially in Britain. We've always dealt with things with humans. It's something we are, it's something we generally are world leaders at. Um, not not our track and trace systems. We're not world leaders at that, despite what we're being told. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we don't need the best track and trace. We've got freedom. Shut up, you moron. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, yeah, it's, you know, again, humour is a great way uh, of dealing with things because it allows you to actually cry out as well without crying out uh which i think is a very important tool yes it is it stops it being vic victimhood yeah. you know it's just if something's normal you, you're not you're not victimized for it no. and there might if, if people do it then they're a bully and they're seen as that yeah. quite rightly whereas if it's seen as something is seen as alien then it's seen as fair game by society so we've got a long way to go but i think you know i think society has has improved on this stuff but I would like to see, like you said, that that kind of a diagnosis for non-neurotypical, you know, behaviours or whatever was uh, easier to access and, and quicker to to get resolved. Yeah, either will complete, either, well, it's interesting now, will I get my diagnosis before Brexit and the end of COVID? That's the target. <laughs> <laughs> will you be dead? You'll be there on your deathbed dying of COVID and they'll finally give you your diagnosis. And then you can at least die happy. And then that's when I might get better and just go, jokes on you, I was okay all along. Yeah. I was faking it. 
I was just trying to scan the NHS. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah, I'm going to get one day's worth of help. Get in. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll keep us up to date with what goes on with this. <laughs> Probably be most weeks game still waiting. Still waiting. <laughs> yeah, we'll just record a soundbite of you saying "still waiting" and just play it randomly. Yeah, every week. Yeah, so we'll just yeah plop that in. Brad, as the as the diagnosis guy, still waiting. Might add a little tune to it or something as well, just to jingle it up a bit. Yeah, see, if we had if we had hundreds and thousands of listeners, that'd be a little bit we'd put in every week. Because see, here's my main distraction. I don't think I have got ADHD. I've just got a Edith as a distraction. What's the time? Yeah, it's just gone twelve. And here is Aha with Stand By Me. Stand By Me? No, take on me. <laughs> this is why I'm not a proper DJ. <laughs> but I thought I, I, I saw the opportunity. I go, do I go for it? It's just gone 12 and here's Aha. Here's a good one. Except I screwed it up because, again, that's what that's what happens. <laughs> and now I've got a pizza menu. Okay. Yes. So I think now Edith's back out of her cupboard. It's about time to wrap it up. I know you wasn't in a cupboard. So... Anything you want to add before we do sign-offs? You know, hopefully that talk has helped some people. I know that for the last sort of few weeks, we've not really covered anything deep into mental health, and I think that's good. I think it's good to kind of, you know, ebb and flow and just go with whatever's going. But it's something that might be interesting for the listeners to know, that it's something that I wanted to find out about from you. So it wasn't something that you raised, it was something that I raised. Because, yeah, I'm genuinely interested, and knowing these things makes life better and more explicable for me because it sometimes feels like a great big scary place and it just makes things a little bit more understandable yeah let's suppose <coughs> excuse me um it allows me as well because one of the features of our podcast is generally i my brain is all over the place so i go on really long monologues and stuff like that and that is genuinely the reason is a lot of it is the adhd is where I'm so focused on trying to, I want to be to the point, but I'm so focused on what that point is that I can't stop talking. Um, and by the time I finish taking, I, I then get to take a breath, I do get to the point where I forgot what the original point was. Um, That's what editing tools are for, though. Yeah, you make me sound sane. <laughs> oh, I'm not that good. <laughs> But it is an insight as to, to what that is. It's, you know, I, I I will feel dead space, dead air, dead space, dead space is a game, dead air, whatever it is anyway. I will feel that. Um, but I will also verbalise what my internal thoughts are. So I might be thinking, right, next, in a bit, I'm going to just mention this part, but then that just bleh, comes out. So I hope this has been an insight for a lot of people as well. And if anyone has any questions, then I'm willing to talk about it. Um, if you've got a spare four hours, I'm willing to answer your question. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I am willing to talk about it. It's something I'm very open about. And yeah, there's that. So as usual, we are on Discord. If you want to come and join us there for anything. So you can talk about your mental health. Um, you can ask for advice there. You can scream into the void if you need to. You can talk about video games, movies, books, TV, next gen consoles and pcs whatever it is you want to talk about it's there um, it's a community please come and join us there obviously on twitter as well um, links are in the description below um youtube which is getting a lot busier and twitch 
And if you do like what we're doing and you want some extra content that's more pop culture based, then do check out our Patreon. You'll get early access to the podcast. You'll get basically the unedited version. And if you go to our top tier, there's the bonus podcast, which is our after hours podcast, where we talk about pop culture and all things like that. So please do check that out. And if you've got any feedback, let us know. We can only grow with your help. But until then, I'm Brad. I've been joined by Stu and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.